1: brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Hello, my name's Ed Clementi and I'm your host today for the show and today we're very fortunate to have September Hargrove. She's the Vice President of, and Detroit Program Officer for JP Morgan Chase and Company. Did I get that all right, September? Yes, you did, Ed. And welcome, very much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you've got a handful all the time when you're doing stuff, especially during COVID. You've been pretty busy. Uh, I wanna but this is important for the state to hear the story of what J.P. Morgan Chase is doing. And so, what do you tell people? You know, why did they make this commitment? What is the commitment they made to Detroit?
2: Absolutely. Um, First, thanks for having me on the podcast. This is my first podcast. So really excited to be able to to share our story uh, here in the state of Michigan and what we're doing in Detroit um, around economic opportunity. And so uh, our work in Detroit really started back in May of 2013. Uh, when Jamie Dimon was at a shareholder meeting and there was a proposal that was on the table uh, before the shareholders. And, you know, after the vote, Jamie reached out to all of the folks that were proponents of the proposal uh, just for a follow-up conversation. And in doing so, he spoke with Lee Sanders from Ask Me. He's the president. Um, and in that conversation, they talked about what was happening in Detroit post-bankruptcy. And, you um, he really, you know, imposed upon Jamie and the firm to, you know, think about what could we be doing to support what was happening in Detroit. Um, and so he came back and tapped the, head of global responsibility, Peter Scheer, and said, go to Detroit, get on the ground, ask questions, learn about what's going on and see what we can do. And as a result of that uh, conversation and the follow-up work where we spent six months on the ground, just talking to partners and really trying to understand what was happening, you know, we initially started with a hundred million dollar commitment to support uh, Detroit's economic recovery. And we've since increased that commitment to reach $200 million by the end of 2022.
1: Um, So... Like it's interesting. So what was the gap between the 100 and then when you decided to say, hey, there's some real opportunities here that like was there like a couple years between or was it pretty quick?
2: Originally, it was really quick. So the initial commitment was $100 million that we do over five years. And so around year three, we realized we'd already exceeded 100 million. Um, But there were so many additional opportunities for us to continue to work here on the ground. And so in 2017, we increased it to 150 million. And then again, in 2019, for the fifth anniversary, we went ahead and increased it uh, a final investment. Uh, $50 million to reach $200 million. And for us, we realized that in the beginning, it was really about, like, how can we best support some of the key issues on the ground, blight, economic uh, development, uh, workforce. And then uh, midway through, we realized, you know, downtown and midtown, we're starting to see a real resurgence there. Yet, when we look out to the neighborhoods across the city of Detroit, we weren't seeing that same level of progress. And so we really shifted our focus in 2017 to make deeper investments in Detroit's neighborhoods. Um, and we've supported... Uh, organizations that are in the neighborhoods, as well as uh, economic development on commercial corridors to really be a catalyst for additional investment. And then in 2019, uh, we realized that despite all of these efforts, as well as the additional investment that's come into the city, um, Black families in the city that represent 80% of Detroit's population, if you look at the economic indicators for this group, they tend to do much worse than their counterparts across like all socioeconomic indicators, housing, entrepreneurship, workforce, you know, life expectancy. And so we put together a strategy that really allowed for us to go deeper and invest in interventions that will help create more wealth building and economic opportunity uh, pathways for Detroit's black families. And so that's kind of where we are in year seven of our investment, uh, really continuing to look at interventions um, and Programs and partnerships that will allow for more individuals to have access to economic opportunity.
1: Yeah, having been involved with Detroit over a series of my careers, either as a trustee for Wayne County Community College or uh, as a state rep, we had uh, Kevin Johnson on, but the neighborhoods have always been the biggest challenge because midtown, downtown, you know, it's been a struggle for that as well. But the the neighborhoods are the real key, I think, to the turnaround more than anything. Uh, and I'm glad you guys are focusing on that. That's great. Yeah, no, we agree. Yeah. So so are you like your job specifically are you sort of the gatekeeper or are you sort of the person that identifies the projects and you run a, like is jp morgan chase based out of new york i can't remember
2: yeah so we're headquartered out of new york um that's actually where i first started with the firm um but we have a global presence um and so we've been in the detroit market for over 85 years and we've been here both as a line of business as well as investing philanthropically but you know it was in 2014 where we a launched this new investment in Detroit initiative. And so my job, I think gatekeeper is probably a little harsh, um, <laughs> but, you know, I lead the philanthropic strategy and investment portfolio here. So it's my responsibility to identify like, what are the problems that we're trying to solve for and who are the best partners and the best solutions that we could um, lift up to be able to address those uh, problems. So in many ways, you know, a lot of folks come to me, Uh, With great proposals, I don't always get the chance to invest in all of them. So in one way, I am a gatekeeper, but I see myself more as like a dot connector and a problem solver and really putting together the right partners, programs um, and opportunities to work towards building a more inclusive economy here in uh, the city.
1: Yeah, it's always hard when you're the person that's got to pick like one out of 10 or whatever. And it's uh, usually it's, it's a tough job to do no matter what, especially when you're talking about people's livelihoods. I imagine that's a tough responsibility at times for you.
2: It is. I have to say no more than I get to say yes. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it right. comes with the job.
1: Yeah, you know how it goes. Um, You also, you you, we talked about a little bit off the record, but uh, there's a bit of a blueprint. It seems like for J.P. Morgan Chase that you guys have had this initiative in a few other uh, cities around the United States,
2: right? Uh, Actually, globally. Um, Globally. Oh yeah, yeah, let's
1: hear that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So we realize that this model for impact that we've started here in Detroit, you know, it can be replicated in other places. So we really approach our community investment work, not only just what we can be doing from a giving standpoint through philanthropy, but really looking across the board of all of our lines of business. How can we show up in markets with this um, in more coordinated approach? And so we've taken this model for impact that really is data driven, um, leveraging the insights from our institute, now tapping into our policy center to push, you know, advocacy for issues that impact uh, low-income um, and underserved communities. And you know, we've taken these you know, inflated investments to other places. So uh, following Detroit, we invested, made a big commitment to Chicago, Washington, D.C., Paris, um, as well as uh, the San Francisco, Greater Bay Area.
1: You didn't get a chance to work on the Paris one, did you?
2: Just a little bit. Um, I originally started on the Advancing Cities team, uh, where we were looking at how do we, you know, export this Detroit uh, model for impact to other places, and then, you know, ended up uh, taking over the Detroit work um, exclusively.
1: Yeah, it's funny. At one time, when I, when I was in the legislature, we were benchmarking ourselves, actually Detroit a little bit with Berlin. And because they were having a lot of the similar issues, you know, we we're having, but sometimes the comparison could be global cities around the world, even for Detroit's opportunities too. Uh, as you work through this, do you also um, I'm sure you got key stakeholders, but is there any other ones you might have not mentioned that uh, makes your job you know, helpful when you're partnering with these projects?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my job is not possible without collaboration and partnerships with nonprofits and other funders. Um, you know, while we have made a significant investment in commitment to Detroit. Uh, our approach is to not go at it alone. And so we really welcome the opportunity to work closely with others. You know, a great example of this is our Entrepreneurs of Color Fund. It's a uh, partnership that we have with the Kellogg Foundation, Cresby Foundation, Ralph C. Wilson Foundation, Detroit Development Fund, which is a CDFI, Fifth Third Bank and Liberty Bank, which is a um, minority depository institution. And we created this $22 million fund to support minority entrepreneurs get access to capital. And it's really focused on, you know, neighborhood-based businesses in Detroit. And I think that's just a great example of like how we are able to partner together with others and um, support uh, more individuals have again that opportunity to build wealth for themselves uh, through entrepreneurship.
1: You mentioned one acronym in there. I think it was CDFI. Could you tell the listeners what that means?
2: Absolutely. Um, a CDFI is a community de- a community development financial institution, and these are really kind of the community banks that uh, were created through the Department of Treasury to uh, support more riskier entrepreneurs. And so they're able to do like smaller dollar loans. Uh, they provide a lot of technical assistance and coaching to small businesses, and really help kind of build them up so that way they are able to, you know, eventually become uh, clients at a traditional bank like Chase.
0: You're listening to The Michigan Opportunity, featuring candid conversations with Michigan business leaders on what makes Michigan a leading state to live, work, and play. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org forward slash podcast. You have
1: sort of a very unusual path uh, how you got to this job, but, uh, you know, you've Come, you've overcome a lot of barriers to get to this point uh, beyond just educational ones, right? Yeah. Uh, could, could you share a little bit about your background?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I um, am originally from California. I grew up, I uh, claim Sacramento, which is our capital, but really grew up in the Central Valley in a really like, you know, rural, impoverished community. And unfortunately, my mother was a, an addict. And so that created a lot of instability for me and my five brothers growing up. You know, we moved around a lot. We experienced homelessness um, and ended up in foster care. So I actually emancipated from the foster care system when I was 17. Uh, I was fortunate enough, however, through the support of having some really, really amazing amazing teachers that were there to kind of keep me on this pathway um, to be able to go to college. I went to UC Berkeley for undergrad and then, you know, ended up going to Harvard. Um, So it's really, you know, as I reflect, I'm just humbled by the fact that I can say that, you know, I've been from homelessness and sleeping in cars and homeless shelters to, you know, be at an institution like Harvard. And then from that, to even have a career that started in the California State Senate, um, to being able to work for uh, former mayor uh, Mitch Landrieu in New Orleans, and even President Obama as a White House fellow, and now, you know, a vice president at uh, one of the most well-regarded banks um, in the world. And I will say like what was always my motivation is that I wanted to ensure that other individuals, especially my brothers, that despite the circumstance we were born into, that that shouldn't limit what our opportunities could be. You know, I didn't want to be the exception. I want my experience to be, you know, more of a commonplace, like to be the rule that regardless of where you may start in this journey, that, you know, if you have the desire and you have the resilience that you should be able to become whoever you wanna be.
1: You know, uh, you should take the opportunity if you like to give a shout out to any teacher you might have really helped you maybe when you were younger you're on a podcast might also take advantage of it
2: absolutely um miss uh shirley roberts miss jean gahan uh they were my student leadership teachers when i was in high school um they were amazing they gave me the ability to dream so big and to think of myself as more than just the girl that was in foster care but rather that i could be this amazing woman i would also shout out um jason sample who was my mentor in high school who i'm still very close with yeah actually was uh, uh, officiated in my marriage. Um, and it's just so great to have people that saw beyond my circumstance and really, you know, saw my potential. And so for the three of them, I am extremely grateful.
1: Yeah. It's always nice when people see something in you and you don't see yourself. No, definitely. Yeah. That's always a helpful thing. In fact, you actually, I've got other questions, but I want to leap over to one earlier and you kind of touched on a little bit, but would you give any career advice for people? If you could, you know, let's stick with high school kids, because it seems like you had a lot of influence on you there, but uh, that you were giving a mini commencement thing, what would you sort of tell them at least a few points that they should focus on as they make decisions and move forward?
2: Yeah, so I, I would actually entitle my commencement speech, um, operating with a why not me attitude. Um, I feel like a lot of the times I question, you know, why is this happening to me? You know, do I deserve to be at this table? Do I deserve to be in this fellowship? Do I deserve this job. And then I had to kind of shift my thinking, like, why not me? Who's more qualified to advocate on behalf of individuals that have come up with experiences like mine? And so I think you have to just move past the imposter syndrome um, and don't think about, you know, what your deficit is, but think about, you know, what is it that uniquely positions you to be in that room to give a perspective that others can't. Um, And just remember that you're here for a reason and that anyone can have impact. And then also just follow up. Um, I know that's simple advice, but so many individuals reach out to me for, you know, coffee conversations and I'm like, yeah, let's get time on the calendar and they never follow up. And so you never know what opportunity you might be missing on because you failed to follow up. So that would be my advice.
1: You know, when someone once told me, to be successful, show up 15 minutes early for every meeting, <laughs> and you know it's uh it's amazing how many conversations you can have before those kind of meetings sometimes too. Oh, absolutely yeah the um, I'm going to jump back to the work side of things sorry commencement speech is over but uh, is there you know you you spoke you focus on a lot of entrepreneurs you said but is there certain sectors that are more conducive to what you try to do because i'm sure you know you want to make sure it's the best use of you know the funds right so do you focus
2: on certain industries or is it pretty wide open yeah. so we're with a lot of our investments pretty industry agnostic um however we do try to focus more on organizations that are just, or small businesses that are just starting up um solo entrepreneurs micro enterprises these are um Small businesses that have less than, you know, five employees. However, I realized in COVID that there's a lack of support for existing businesses, not only in Detroit, but really across the state and that they too need additional access to capital and technical assistance programs to help them build their businesses. And so, you know, as I look ahead and our portfolio and the work that I want to be doing and how we're showing up, it's how can I support more existing businesses be able to grow, especially in a world that's becoming much more technology driven. Um, how can we help businesses get online, get found, identify multiple streams of revenue, as well as just improve their overall financial acumen. A lot of the times as a small business um, owner you know you're wearing multiple hats and you're not thinking about the financial health of the business or sometimes your own financial health and things get intermingled and that could have negative consequences in the future. And so really looking at more opportunities to uh, support growing entrepreneurs so that way they can hire more people in communities and create uh, more kind of return on that investment as we're looking across all of the different pillars that we, we focus on.
1: I know in your we talked about youth, but when I was a trustee for the college, our average graduation rate was like over 30 and there were single moms most of the times, right? And that's a harder population, I would guess, to get them to get Tax tech savvy, as you were just mentioning, um, that's got to be a challenge, I would presume, for a lot of folks, especially with digital divide and things like that, especially in urban and underserved populations.
2: Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, in Detroit especially, we identify that so many individuals are disconnected. And so we were really happy to support last year the initiative with a lot of organizations. I think it was... Um, Connect Detroit, where we supported uh, all um, Detroit public school students to be able to get access to uh, laptops and internet, so that way they could uh, continue their education while we we're, you know, all working from home and doing school from home. But also thinking more about, you know, the support that small businesses need and, you know, single mothers. Uh, so we're definitely continuing to work with organizations to think about not only the traditional business. Um, tools that they need but also some of these other things like financial literacy and digital literacy uh, to help them be successful
1: yeah the, that was a challenge trying to get financial literacy as part of the curriculum in high schools was a pretty tough challenge sometimes uh, the the is there any uh, trends or other futuristic things you think beyond what you've already mentioned that you see on the horizon that might affect, you know, how Detroit does or how your job might change due to, say, you know, whatever it might be, like the introduction, say, of more distance learning or remote. Travel, whatever it might be.
2: Yeah, well, there definitely are quite a few things. But one thing that I definitely want to center our conversation around is the racial wealth gap and racial equity. Uh, I think that this in my experience here in Detroit, I've seen this disparity as really our biggest handicap. Um Kellogg did a report, the Kellogg Foundation, back in 2015 that looked at across Michigan, the racial wealth gap um, is creating such a huge impact on our economic um, output. And that if we were able to close that gap, I think they said it would be something like a $31 billion increase in our economic output. And so I feel like until we're really able to have candid conversations around racial equity, uh, we really need to figure out how, uh, that's impacting our overall ability to be successful as a state.
1: Yeah. And, 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 you know, like you said before, you, you're looking at this empathically, not sympathetically, right? Because you've gone through it in some degree or another in your career. Um, do you, uh, when you go out with these projects, is there any successes you might want to mention? that you thought something you might've been involved with that sort of had a beginning and is still succeeding kind of thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we've already talked a little bit about the entrepreneurs of color fund, which I think has been a great program. Another one that we have, a program that we helped stand up that I think has been really impactful is the Equitable Development Initiative in partnership with the Capital Impact Partners. And as we look across the city of Detroit, you know, we want to ensure that the residents of Detroit um, and minority developers especially get to be a part of the rebuilding. And so this is a program that helps support um, emerging minority developers get the technical assistance that they need to be able to build kind of their book of business, um, as well as get connected to mentors and then, you know, capital to be able to um, execute on projects. And this program has been so successful successful here in Detroit, we've now actually scaled it to other cities. And so we launched uh, Equitable Development Initiative in uh, Washington, DC, I think, uh, last year, and there are a couple of other cities where this is planned to expand to. And so it's just been really great to be able to look up and see how Capital Impact Partners is now Working with more minority developers that are working in the neighborhoods and being able to employ individuals from those neighborhoods to be a part of this rebuilding
1: is. You uh, don't necessarily have to. I don't want to put you on the spot on this, but if people wanted to know about all these things, do you recommend going to your just J.P. Morgan, you know, website, or would you? Yeah, how would you tell people if they heard this podcast what they would do? Yeah, so
2: I would say you know, Google J.P. Morgan Chase corporate responsibility, and then they'll take you to a page, and there's a whole Detroit um, kind of micro page within our corporate responsibility site. And it really tracks our progress over the last seven years of the different investments that we've made, our partners, as well as spotlights on some of the individuals and entrepreneurs that have directly benefited from our investment here in the city. Well,
1: yeah, you're obviously a good ambassador for Detroit, as well as J.P. Morgan Chase, too. So congratulations. Um, the last question is... I don't, I forgot to ask, how long have you lived in, the, in oh. Michigan now? Did you, uh, do you, have you lived, how many years?
2: I, I moved here in March of 2019, so not very long. So this
1: question, I don't know, what do you like best so far about moving to Michigan?
2: So I love being outdoors during uh, the Michigan spring and summer. I will say that you all have some of the most beautiful parks. Um, We often, my husband and my son, you know, we will go to a different metro park on the weekends or even just sit in the backyard um, and really take advantage of, you know, this um, time-limited good weather season that you all have here um, in
1: Michigan. Yeah, you've lived around the country. New Orleans, California, Washington, D.C. I don't know where else you've lived, but... uh, New York and Boston, but yeah. Boston, yeah. So you've had quite a uh, great opportunity uh, to, to really do some comparison for us as well. Um, I, uh, I at this point, I mean, if there's anything else you want to add, if not, uh, I want to thank you again, September Hargrove, Vice President, Detroit Program Officer at JPMorgan Chase and Company. Thanks again, September, for doing the show today.
2: Yeah, no, it was my pre- pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Ed.
0: The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org forward slash radio
2: to put your plans in motion.